0: <laughs> we express our praise and gratitude to Allah and we seek blessings on the Prophet. Peace be upon him. Continuing Talal Asad Formations of the Secular, we are now beginning Chapter 2, page 67. Thinking about agency and pain. What do we mean by agency? What's agency?
1: Uh, like uh, consciousness?
0: Yeah, I mean, even more than that, I'd say self-determination. The ability to determine for yourself. doesn't mean you have the power, necessarily, but that's built in,
2: Thinking about agency and pain. I suggested in the previous chapter that the secular is best approached indirectly, so I explored some ways in which the notion of myth was used through several centuries to shape knowledges, behaviors, and sensibilities we call secular. In this chapter, I explored through the concept of agency, especially agency connected to pain. Why agency? Because the secular depends on particular conceptions of action and passion. Why pain? For two reasons first because in the sense of passion pain is associated with religious subjectivity and often regarded as inimic- inimical
0: yeah so, so like opposed
2: inimical to reason second because in the sense of suffering it is thought of as a human condition that secular
0: agency must eliminate universally so isn't this fascinating from the secular perspective pain is bad you have to remove it anesthesia okay? from the religious perspective pain has meaning mm. right uh, especially, like in in, in not the ascetics. What group is it? The people who do like self mortification. Um, Something day. Well, there's Opus Day that does. Dei. Yeah, that type of group. I'm trying to think. What is the what is the term? Um, but in any case, but uh, so these are people that will, um, as a pathway to purification or enlightenment, will cause themselves pain, right? Um, but in the general secular sense, pain is is bad. Get rid of it.
1: Is could you connect like pain as well as hardship?
0: Hardship too, yeah, absolutely. Same sort of. That part of the idea is to to remove hardship. Yeah.
2: In the latter part of this chapter, I discuss some examples of agency from Christian, Muslim, and pre-Christian history in which pain is central. But I do so less for the sake of understanding the justification some religious people give for the existence of suffering than for investigating aspects of secularity. For if pain is a symptom of an afflicted body, it is first of all a limit to the body's ability to act effectively in the real world. It is also the most immediate sign of this world of the senses through which its materiality, external and internal, is felt, and therefore it offers a kind of vindication of the secular. A crucial point about pain, however, is that it enables a secular idea that history-making and self-empowerment can progressively replace pain by pleasure, or at any rate, by the search for what pleases one. Is that interesting?
0: So, so pain is uh, a technique for evaluating um, your spiritual condition. But from a dunya secular perspective, self-empowerment is a technique for evaluating your dunya weak condition. So pain can be a sign of success. Like, you know, when you're working out, right? When you're in pain, it means you probably did something like if you're sore. It means you probably had a good workout, right? Um, But from a secular perspective, we're talking about agency. The power to determine your path. Those are the biographies everybody loves to read, like this person did it their own way, you know, and that's what we find so fascinating. The
2: anthropological literature on the subject seems to me marked by a lack of adequate attention to the limits of the human body as a site of agency, and in particular by an inadequate sensitivity to the different ways that an agent agent engages with pain and suffering. When the word body is used, it is more often than not a synonym for the individual whose desire and ability to act are taken as unproblematic. This is not so for those influenced by Freud, of course. In fact, although Freud's claim to have produced a comprehensive theory of the subject, having universal applicability, has been rightly contested by many, his concern with our incomplete knowledge of and mastery over our bodies and minds remains highly instructive. Thus, in her excellent study of early modern theories of emotions... Susan James described the steps by which desire came to be thought of as the central force governing all actions. As with most realignments of this sort, however, its achievements are brought at some cost, she observes. On the one hand, an increasingly generic conception of desire paves the way for the modern orthodoxy that beliefs and desires are the antecedents of action. On the other hand, explanations of actions grounded on the view that the passions only move us to act insofar as they are kinds of desire or are mixed with desire, are often comparatively blank. Taken generically, desires lack the inflections that would make them explanatory. Once we begin to expand them, we are drawn back to the intricate and sometimes baffling territory of the passions.
0: Okay, so what's the overall discussion? Here, now we're talking about agency, and the question is, what are the components of agency? Okay, and so, one theory is desire, another theory is passion, another theory is desire precedes passion, and so forth and so on. But the idea being that agency is something that is valued in this outlook. But when we're speaking from an Islamic perspective, what are we valuing? Submission. Like you are giving up your agency. Meaning as you move from Islam to Iman to Ihsan, you're actually decreasing your agency and surrendering completely your free will more and more and more. You know, like the analogy that you find in some of these books is like a fly in honey, where the, the fly can't move. But when the honey moves in a, in a wave, then the fly moves. And that's Ehsan, right? That you, are, you have completely given up your free will. You know? Whereas when you're at the level of Islam, meaning like the, the beginner, um, you still keep trying to exert your own self. Right? And you'll say things like, you know, I don't like religious people and stuff like that, but I like Obama. we anyway, continue. <laughs>
2: This tension between desire as action and passion James suggests has been uniquely addressed in our own time by Freud and his followers. It should be added however that although Freudianism as exceptionally sophisticated sense has an exceptionally sophisticated sense of the internal dynamics of the passions mediated between mind and body, it holds out the problematic promise that the passions can ultimately be mastered by reason through systematic observation and interpretation, thereby giving rationality prim-
0: primacy in the constitution of the modern secular subject. Okay. So, I mean, this is uh, in the same way that the previous chapter was speaking about the theories of Benjamin and the other people here. We're looking, he's, Dalal Asad is analyzing theories. The key point that we're, that for us, is essentially this, from a secular perspective, the shift in the meaning of pain, and from a secular perspective, the shift in the meaning of agency, right? And so part of the secular is to look at what are the components of agency, and then to just break it all down, right? I can continue.
2: In the last decade, an increasing amount of research has been published on the centrality of emotion and cultural life, and this is certainly welcome for our understanding of agency. However, my interest in suffering as a passion is a little different from most of this literature. I ask first whether pain is not simply a cause of action, but can also itself be a kind of action. Okay,
0: that's interesting. I want to see where he goes with this. Okay.
2: There is no agreement among contemporary researchers on what emotions are. Some insist that they are impulses occurring entirely in the part of the body called the brain. Others that they are intersubjective, located in the social space individuals inhabit. Sometimes all emotion is equated with desire. At other times, desire is regarded as one emotion
0: among others. Okay, so what does what intersubjective mean? When it's talking about emotions taking place in the social space individuals inhabit. What's subjective? Like,
2: your perspective?
0: So, intersubjective is basically, like, what you're sharing with me and I'm perceiving. Oh. Um. Right? And so, so the basic theory is, is emotions, uh, that which we call emotions, is it something of uh, physiology? Okay. I mean, the general trend of neurology is to say that everything is physiology, but from this perspective, as far as we can gather, is it something beyond physiology, or beyond neurology? You know.
2: However, many theories, apart from Freud's stress, the unconscious character of emotions. And everyone, regardless of whether he or she has a theory of emotions or not, knows that some emotions, passions, can and do disrupt or disguise intentions. And yet conscious intention is assumed to be central to the concept of agency in most anthropological work. Even in the growing field of medical anthropo- anthropology, where innovative work has given us a cultural understanding of health and disease, the standard meaning of agency is taken too much for granted. The sick body is often represented no differently from the healthy body in that both For both, resistance to power is the form that agency typically takes. Okay,
0: uh, look at that metaphor. Um, That healthy body and the sick body is no difference because in both cases there's this resistance to power. So illness is the body's resistance to the power that's being exerted by a virus or bacteria, right?
2: Or is it? And the, sorry, I'm just saying that seems counter to like the sort of religious outlook. On Which it. is what? That that's the power being um, inflicted on you by the divine, and mm-hmm. you're sort of you have to accept it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and that there's benefits coming yeah. from it, uh, but then we're saying resistance to power is very much a, the idea of the secular, mm-hmm. right? So now you're we're connecting the actual behavior of the body. To the secular outlook, so this is an ideological view of physio- physiology, that illness is uh, fighting against a, a corrupt power yeah. within your physiology. In the same way, um, fighting against a corrupt power is a social or is a response to a social illness. Yeah. I
2: find such views troubling because they attribute individual agency to the sick body by translating all its states and movements directly into dissent. For when anthropologists talk of getting at the subject's experience of illness, they often refer not only to a patient's words, but to his or her behavior as though it were a form of discourse. Rendering subjective reactions legible in this way seems to me unsatisfactory when we remain unclear as to how the behavioral text is to be decoded, when dissent or resistance
0: is taken to be self-evident. Okay, so so the debate here, the concern he's raising is that um, when you think of the body acting in dissent to power, like the sick body being dissent against power, you're assuming the body is acting actively, as opposed to acting passively. Okay? And if it's acting passively, is it actually acting? Okay? And so, likewise, an anthropologist is going to study a person's behavior. And so, just a moment ago, you just rubbed your eye. Okay? Why? You felt compelled to. You didn't think I need to rub my eye. Yeah. Right. But uh, an anthropologist might interpret it as a choice you made with some mm-hmm. symbolic meaning. Right. Now, and then you just. I just did it. again. <laughs> <do> it
1: again.
2: <laughs> definitely meaning now. <laughs> Now just to keep means, doing it? This means
0: I cry every time. <laughs> <laughs> so, so he's saying that's one of the risks in, in analysis, that you might give the wrong interpretation, not like this means X, Y, Z, but even something as simple as is this a passive behavior or in Freud's language unconscious, conscious, or is this an active conscious choice that a person is making that becomes almost like ritual.
2: Yet even in Freud, resistance is a theoretically defined concept, one that has a particular place in the work of analysis. The sick body's suffering is not always to be read as resistance to the social power of others. It is sometimes the body's punishment of itself for desiring what it ought not to desire. Mm-hmm.
0: An- so look at that part. Okay, the sick body's suffering is not always to be read as resistance. Sometimes the body punishing you, okay, because you desired something you didn't want to desire. This is a point Ghazali makes. That when you eat too much, you feel a certain type of pain, and what you're being given is a taste of hell, right? Like if you eat too much, then the Zali's is saying, "Yeah, you're getting a taste of what hell is like," and and here in this language in this book, body is punishing it, you, you know, for desiring something they shouldn't desire. Now think about that about someone who who just drinks a ton of booze and then you know they pass out, they um, they puke all that stuff. So he's saying, okay, that's not resistance against power uh, necessary, this is the body punishing you for desiring something you don't want.
2: The anthropological use of the notion of resistance has rightly been criticized for underestimating the strength and diversity of power structures. I am worried less by what has been called the romance of resistance than by the more inclusive category of agency presupposed by it. Of course, in common sense terms, resistance occurs in everyday life, and it is often important to outcomes when it does so. My concern, however, is that our fascination with the resistance itself
0: comes from a larger supporting ideas. Mm-hmm. Larger supporting. So ideas. I mean, another way to think about this uh, that which we call uh, progressive Islam, right? I mean, it keeps going through all kinds of changes. I'm sorry.
1: I was like, this is gonna be good.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, you've already heard this from me. And so, progressive Islam is essentially taking the liberation theology of 1980s Catholicism, or the liberation theology that grew in the 1980s among Catholics, that's a better way to put it, um, and applying it to an Islamic lens, okay? And what did liberation theology say? It's, okay, these people are not poor because they're poor. These people are poor because the system is holding them down. So, you have to attack the system, Okay. This is what, you know, people who are from the strain of Maududi, they, you know, they may find that very familiar and appealing. Okay? And, you know, it might include more than one person in this room. You know, present Company included. Anyway, anyway so, so... You looked at yourself for a... Yeah, no, no, but it was. That was part of the point, yeah. And, and, but where is liberation theology coming from? It's coming from Marxism. Okay, and, and so in the most simple sense, what is a big part of Marxism? It's that you have power that has to be fought off. Okay? You know, and that's what progressive Islam is in the most simple nutshell. Right? And so a lot of it is symbolic. Let's we need to, um, you know, we need to have a black American woman leading khutbah, okay? Instead of the ideal of the society, which is the white American man. Right? And some of that is symbolic, but it's also in the language of resistance against power. And that is a lot of the thought that you'll find in the humanities, that Marxism uh, has so deep, so deeply taken it over that people don't even realize it's there. For sure. yeah. Yeah. For
2: sure. yeah. The tendency to romanticize resistance comes from a metaphysical question to which this notion of agency is a response. Given the essential freedom or the natural sovereignty of the human subject and given to its desires and interests, what should human beings do to realize their freedom, empower themselves, and choose pleasure? The assumption here is that power, and so too pain, is external to and, rep- rep- and the repressive, wait, repressive and the Repres- repressive, yeah. repressive of the agent, that it subjects him or her, and that nevertheless the agent, as active object, Take active sure. subject, has both the desire to oppose power and the responsibility to overcome more powerful, or to become more powerful so that disempowerment, suffering, can be overcome. Mm. So again,
0: I sh- it's in the language of power. Yeah.
2: I shall argue against this assumption. But to the extent that the task of confronting power is taken to be more than an individual one, it also defines a historical project whose aim is the increasing triumph of individual autonomy. The fact that resistance is a term used by theorists of culture for a number of disparate conditions: the unconscious behavior of patients, students pro- student protests in schools, generalized movements for civil reform, the defensive strategies of labor unions, militants struggling against an oc- occupying power, and so on points to one way in which a particular kind of deep motivation may become attributed to an essentialized subject agent
0: so so this I think is straightforward even though it's a complicated language it's that what's being promoted in this outlook is that you is that power is trying to dominate you and so you must become powerful enough so as not to be dominated meaning agency okay? And take it even further, Say, Qutb, um, if you look at his categories, he's basically giving Islamic or Arabic words to categories that are, that are being taken from Franz Fanon, mm-hmm. who's this, you know, anti-colonialist thinker who is also taking the ideas of Marx. Mm-hmm. Now, it could be that, um, you know, Marx's ideas are just so appealing, or it could be just that in the era that the world was in, this era of the rise of nation-states, the natural uh, philosophy then is no longer in opposition to a king, even though he uses this type of language. But now it's an, op- uh, an uh, opposition to an oppressive whole system,
2: mm-hmm.
0: right? That maybe that's why. Yeah. But the point is that that uh, it is, in the most simple sense, the question of agency. How can I keep my choices? Even like think about all the discussions today of WikiLeaks and. Who's the other guy, Snowden, and, and Manning, and the surveillance state? What is, a, at the core question, that there is the system that's trying to prevent you from having your own agency, right? By monitoring everything that you do, which is taking away your privacy, the agency of having privacy, and then on top of that, the assumption is that it's monitoring everything um, that you're doing to stop you from doing things it doesn't want you to do, okay? And, and so that's what is a big, big part of the whole secular ideal. That I am my own boss. I mean, it's very much an American ideal, right? To be your own boss.
2: Yeah. Theorists of culture sometimes find themselves at once asserting and denying the existence of such an essence. Thus, the editors of a popular reader in contemporary social theory write in their introduction, From a theoretical point of view, we need a subject who is at once culturally and historically constructed, Yet, from a political perspective, we would wish this subject to be capable of acting in some sense autonomously, not simply in conformity to dominant cultural norms and rules, or within the patterns that power inscribes. But this autonomous actor may not be defined as acting from some hidden well of innate will, or consciousness that has somehow escaped cultural shaping and ordering. In fact, such an actor is not only possible, but normal, for the simple reason that neither culture itself nor the regimes of power that are imbricated in cultural logics and experiences can ever be wholly consistent or totally determining. Because they are progressive-minded, read constructivists, these social theorists disapprove of any talk of innateness. They wa- also want to present struggle, resistance, and dissent. Deviation is normal to human behavior.
0: Okay, so he's, again, he's critiquing anthropological theories. And one of the things he's critiquing is that they want to frame resistance and dissent as being normal. okay? And they don't like the idea of something innate, like fitra, right? That you have this fitra that compels you to behave in certain ways. And so, I mean, for our purposes, a lot of this is, is not as relevant, But but the key point being that through the secular outlook, you're redefining all these things. So now, as we've been saying, you are privileging the idea of agency, like as though that is what everyone naturally wants. What do you think? And this is there's no right answer to this, um, or that we can have. Do people naturally? Is there is human nature naturally towards agency, or is it naturally towards submission?
1: You know, it? we had this discussion with. Uh with uh that story with lola remember on the atlantic yes right a little bit i don't know like that story bothered me because, which story so there's a story of this lady uh it was from the philippines right oh that recent story yeah yeah I,
0: I don't know what the story is though she just
1: basically she was essentially a slave right okay. like a servant i guess like she was a slave yeah she was a slave but there was a there's a specific word for it like there was a you, Filipino word. Yeah, that's what no, I'm saying. There's I a Filipino know. word. I forgot the word, but she was a slave. But uh, basically, like her, this this lady, her father had given her it the slave to her when she was twelve, and then basically they called her Lola, and she she helped raise and take care of like uh, the daughter, and then when she, the daughter got married and had her own family, she took her with her to America. Uh, to America, mm-hmm. and then basically she got stuck here as a slave, and she lived her whole life. Mm-hmm. In complete servitude, like she slept on. I mean, the the story is very brutal. Like, mm. there's there's scenes where like I mean the details mm. are graphic, but the point being, what well, one of the things that bothered me in that so much beyond like her like having to take like like a punishment in place of the mother, right? Like she'd say oh, punish Lola instead, right? Uh, it was that like Lola you know she never got to live a life or make choices for herself like mm. she was robbed of her agency and and, mm. and I couldn't I couldn't come to terms with that mm. right like, like what
0: does that mean like I mean, how could allah like allow, allow could, this or what
1: yeah i mean that was definitely a part of it i was like what was allah's plan for her mm-hmm. right like what did what does god sort of want at the end of someone living that life like
2: oh now was I, remember. Total, I remember what i
1: said it was total like i mean it was totally devoid of anything for yourself, right? Mm -hmm. And, like, she never got to, you know, she talked about, yeah, I never, there was a point in my life where I wanted to be married, but I let go of that dream, like... She just had to give up everything. Mm -hmm. And it was like, yeah, it was, you know, I mean, part of me, when I thought that, I said, you know, like, for her and God, like, that's between Mm -hmm. them two and, like... I don't, you know, she'll see what she see, what she get deserves on the other side, right? Like I'm yeah. not, I wasn't worried about that sort of that in like I I don't have a fear that there'll be injustice in that regard. Okay. Right. Yeah. So that for me, I can let go of that. I don't know, but it, it's still insane to me that somebody could live that life, be robbed of that, yeah. and like uh, I don't know. It just made me really. Mm-hmm. Uncomfortable, and yeah.
0: That's uh, that's how abuse works. Yeah, right? and they couldn't yeah.
1: come to terms with it. Yeah,
0: that's. Uh, nor should you want to be able to come to terms with it. Yeah. Right. Um, because that's a type of despair that might be in the form of resignation, or what have you. I mean, this the closest thing I have in the things I've I've thought about over the years is uh, what is that thing in uh, in Afghanistan, Central Asia, subcontinent. Like a uh, bachabazi. Yeah, bachabazi. Yeah, so you saw uh, so where I was going, where basically they turn the little boys into prostitutes yeah. for men, right? And so, what happens to this kid's life, right? Um, the kid may be kidnapped, maybe an orphan, maybe sold by the parents, and then his whole life is to be a prostitute starting from age eight. You know?
2: That's also, there's also something, I don't know if it's the same term, they also have this other weird thing where they do, where they say if a family doesn't have, uh, the boys are too young, or they don't even have boys, there's girls who will act like boys. Yeah, exactly.
1: I've heard of that. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And that's, uh, uh, that's the type of thing that makes people leave faith. Yeah. Right? Um, The larger version of that would be a genocide. Yeah. But it's... In the same spectrum, in the sense that you have people where you think, how could Allah allow someone's life to be that devastated? Where it almost feels like it would have been better if they just died a brutal death before all yeah. that, right? Those are some of the stories that are coming from Syria now, right? Yeah. Rather than um, a woman be raped, you know, she is asking to be murdered by her own family. Yeah. Right. Or the uh, uh, the family members are asking if it's okay for them to either kill her or kill themselves. Kill themselves so they don't have to witness a rape or kill her so she doesn't get raped. You know? And this is the world that Alatella has the authority to create. Right? Um, and if you didn't have a belief in the day of judgment, um, of a day of complete justice, I don't know how you'd be able to keep your sanity. Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah, I, that's the only thing for me that mm-hmm. keeps me from giving up or going on the precipice. It's yeah. like, well... I have to, I have to believe that, like, they'll be dealt with justly, yeah. right? And like, and because you know that you, you're like, okay, not that it's okay now, yeah. but you don't lose hope in God yeah. in
0: that sense. That it's beyond your capacity. Yeah. And, and it's an illustration that the way Allah Ta designed this dunya is that in a way there's no limits, right? There, there's no boundaries, I should say. Mm. Um. So who knows what we haven't seen in what a human is capable of doing to another human. Um, and I remember in a khutbah, somebody mentioned that uh, for whatever the Sahaba witnessed at their time, uh, or even what the Quraysh did at their time, they would be shocked by many of the things that, that happen today. Because mm-hmm. yeah, they still had a type of honor in their oppression, if that makes any sense. Like when they started mutilating the bodies after Ohad, you know, they apologized. This is not, you know, this is not our behavior. Right? And so even in their oppression, their kufr, literally kufr, um, you, know, and you know, I keep saying how heavy of a word that is. That was kufr. They still had an honor in it. And, and look, at what, uh, look at what the human being has been allowed, the human being that Allah Ta'ala has created has been allowed to be capable of doing to other human beings. Yeah. Yeah, and sometimes you know, like there's that that line attributed to Dr. King, like it's we're gonna remember the silence of the Allies. You know, Um, that um, you know how much uh, of a crime am I committing by hearing such a story and letting it happen? You know,
2: I think for me, like going off of what Nan said, like as far as dealing with that, I think the story of Stuff like that. I think the story of Khidr comes to mind, okay. and then also I think it like you. I think it goes back to what you said about the authority of Allah to do mm-hmm. this. I think it's another form of just submitting to like God, where you you kind of say, "Well, to me this is horrific and mm-hmm. uh, you know just absolutely just devastating." But I have to sort of also accept that God knows more than I do, mm-hmm. you know, and He's the most knowledgeable, so whatever reason he has is obviously going to be satisfying to mm-hmm. me at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't... Like, at, at some level, I think that's something that you have to... Like, it's... It's, it's it's like, very... Like you said, it's very, like, crazy, but it's also arresting on some level where you kind of have to be like, well, you know, I can either sort of... Now's like little go to war against God over this, mm-hmm. where you kind of reject, and you're just like, no, no. Mm-hmm. Or you can be like, okay, I submit to this. That it, is his authority. Yeah. I mean, yeah.
1: Yeah. See, the thing that, like, I get that, but part of me is uncomfortable with that because, not, the, not that Allah doesn't have that authority, mm-hmm. but I feel like that language like that is often used to sort of justify things and say, well, it's within God's authority to let this happen. So, mm-hmm. Or, like, God knows best, there's a reason, mm-hmm. so we shouldn't, like...
0: Uh, when you add the we shouldn't, yeah, then it becomes kismet, mm-hmm. right? Then it becomes fatalism, Right. Mm-hmm. Then it becomes a person's own self-subjugation, where the, the oppressor doesn't even have to subjugate them. The oppressor just gives them a theology that they can then use to subjugate themselves, and the mm-hmm. oppressor continues to loot the population. Yeah, as soon as you add the we shouldn't, then, yeah. um, then there's something wrong, because mm-hmm. the Prophet, peace be mm-hmm. upon him, is complaining to Allah about his weakness. Okay? So if he can complain to Allah, then we definitely can, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Ibrahim has doubts. The angels are questioning Allah Right. Um, uh, another way to frame this is that okay, maybe. That's well, a
1: good point with the angels too, because mm-hmm. they're often put as like just these super obedient. Yeah, I mean they are, yeah. but like. But they, they still,
0: Allah still created them with the ability to question. Yeah. You know, like um, we don't understand what you're doing here. Yeah. Right, and his response is, "I know what you don't know." I mean, sometimes that is the answer. Yeah.
2: That I mean, it's it's funny Adnan Adnan mentioned that too, or I'm sorry, you mentioned about the questioning part. I mean, that's also the story Killer too, right? Moose Musa's there too. Yeah. So I think, yeah, like I mean that that aspect of like you know I think my point was that at the end of the day, like at the very end of it, and also I think I th- I'm just looking at it from like a singular perspective. I can't like I don't think you can make it like this societal thing, and I think a lot of. Certain people from the subcontinent tend to do that mm-hmm. with, with these sort of things and just sort of accept mm-hmm. them, but I meant like as far as like my faith, you know, I I just feel like it's just too much of a it'll be too much of a thing to come back from if I mm-hmm. were to sort of dissent on that, mm-hmm. you know, because it just everything else will fall. What in. does that mean? You know, I feel like if if because you're like it's like you're you're and now, again, not again I was just use horrible language, but it's like you're sort of putting a crack in this perfect thing that's there. You know what I'm saying? No.
0: Like... Uh, I mean, I understand the idea of putting a crack in a perfect thing yeah. how to see how it relates to what you're saying here. Because
2: I think, because like, for example, like if I were to be like, okay, in this thing, like i uh, out of all the other things I'm okay with, right? But in this thing, I have like a very sort of serious...
1: Reservation.
2: Be a reservation or bone, bone to pick with God. And not, not so much even at a questioning level, right? But I'm at like at a deeper level mm-hmm. where I'm like, I can't like, you know, I can't just, it's not working for me. Mm-hmm. I think if, if you do that, or I'm, this is my personal view, if you do something like that, that's like that crack where everything else will, like, you know what I'm saying? It's, I think it's like, this idea that it's connected to everything
0: else. Give me an example because I'm stuck in the of loss.
2: I don't know, I'm just saying like, it, because it's a perfect thing, right? A God being this perfect thing, right? That's how, that's how, that's how you believe. And I think create, or you imposing like, one imperfection in it, Ruins the whole thing. You know what I'm saying? As far as, like, how you perceive God. Okay, okay. And so for me, like, doing that, like, is, is sort of tantamount to, like, just opening up all these other, you know what I'm saying, possibilities.
0: So, the- now, okay, so I get that. Now translate that to what we're talking about here. Oh, like, man. what attitude or what thing are we saying that's risking doing the crack? Oh, man, I don't know how to phrase that then. Yeah, keep praying. Because um, it sounds like a very big point. I mean,
2: I think it's just it's it's despair, right? At the, you that you arrive at despair if you do that. Like if you if you go down, like I think just because you, I think it, you just lose. Like I think it, you lose everything, any any hope you have in God. You just lose it all. You know, if 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 one of the one hope is gone, right, in one of his sort of qualities, you and then every other hope will go as well like eventually you know what i'm saying because essentially what you're saying by um saying like this thing everything else is fine but this thing isn't fine well then how is he perfect mm-hmm. so you like, know what i'm saying I, in silence, okay i think I, I think i get it yeah um, i i don't know how to i don't know how to translate it i think to to this it's just it's hard to, I, to I don't know
1: if this is your point but i was what i thought of is in that in silence that mm-hmm. scene where he was saying like I don't know, did God hear their prayers? Mm-hmm. And he like, but he certainly heard their screams.
0: I think it's the other way around. Like, did God hear their screams? Mm. But nevertheless, yeah. what is the point you're making? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, but so, so what this is all, you know, raising the question of is power and agency uh, uh, being the, 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 uh, the indicators that in a secular lens, that's what's being looked at.
1: And so the efficacy of your power and agency is seen as, like, uh, that's what's translated as, is God responding, or is God present? I mean, can be.
0: So what, what you're describing there is then when religion becomes secularized, so instead of looking through the lens of Dean, you're looking at Dean through your secular lens and not realizing it. You think you're pious, but you're actually looking through a secular lens. And so, okay, am I happy then that may mean that I have faith. And so I'll I'll put it like this. When students come to me saying, you know, I'm going through a spiritual low, and the first part of the conversation, um, uh, I make the point that, okay, an emotional low is not the same as a spiritual low. So if someone says, yeah, I'm still making all my prayers, I say, no, you're not going through a spiritual low. But if they say, you know, I'm beginning to fall on my prayers, that's a spiritual low. Which could be resulting, you know, or connected, uh, tying into their emotional low, right? Uh, but the point being that, um, so when we speak of the Calvinist outlook, okay, the Calvinist outlook. This is, what?
2: Catholics
0: and say. Okay, so so Max Weber, you know, so German, so you can be happy at this that way. So, so so two thumbs up. So. so yeah, so, so Max Weber, um, like one of my favorite books, although it was 400 pages, and for what I got of it, it only need to be 10 pages. So, The Protestant Ethic and Spirit of Capitalism. Okay, so this is the 1800s. Max Weber is trying to figure out why is America on top of the world. Sorry? That
1: title got me feeling some type of <laughs> yeah, 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 it's a cool title, right? Yeah.
0: So, why is America on top of the world? 1800s he's saying this. Okay, And why is it that Europe is not doing as well as America? Okay. He said that
1: in the eighteen hundreds. Eighteen hundreds, yeah. That's not next
0: book. And and so he determines that okay, America at this time is, it, oh, we're almost time to finish, but we're it's almost uh, vast majority of the population is Calvinist, so not just Protestant, but a particular shade of Protestant being Calvinist. So like when the Protestant Reformation came down, there are three big strands: one's Luther, one's Calvin. I always forget the third one, which is also a Seinfeld joke. Like Pavarotti, Placido Domingo, and the third guy, right? Okay, but you guys are not from that generation. Anyway, so <coughs> in Calvinist theology, <coughs> this is a material world. So if uh, if you're doing well in this material world, that means that in the next world, which oh, is a yes. spiritual world, yes. you're going to be doing well. Yeah. Okay. So the key then means, or it means that if you're doing materially well, that means God loves you.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay. Which then means that how do I get God's love, a.k.a. how do I have material success? I have to work for it. Okay. That's developing this work ethic, the Protestant work ethic. Okay. And so he's saying that Calvinism, their theology is making people work harder. Okay. Okay because that is an indication of what their achira is going to be like. But in Europe, where so many people are Catholic, who believe they're guaranteed paradise, they don't have motivation to work. So their theology is is giving them an ethos where they don't work. Here, we have this theology of working. But then he's saying, America is now becoming less religious. Again, he's saying this in the 1800s. And so that Christian worth that Protestant Calvinist work ethic is now being overtaken and transformed into a capitalist um, um, spirit of working harder than everybody else, you know? and and what's funny Adam is that
1: Adam Smith is smiling at his grave. Right? I'm sure he is, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that? And
0: he's the, like one of the big founders of modern economics and stuff, mm-hmm. you know. And um, uh, and I mean, a couple side points. When I tell this this uh, this whole uh, 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 Max Weber's theory to to like Daisy Uncles, they can't accept that you know America's on top because it works harder. They say it's because of the CIA, right?
1: <laughs> and
0: there might be some modern truth to that. But what's funny is because what is that saying? That I'm coming from an ethos where I don't have to work harder, but I'm I'm down because you're holding me down. Yeah, that's what they don't realize that they're actually saying or what I'm hearing. The other thing is that uh, look at a lot of the contemporary Republican discourse when they speak of minorities, okay, or downtrodden. You're downtrodden because you're not working hard enough. Because if you work hard enough, God's going to love you. So you're lazy. So not only are you lazy, God doesn't love you. Therefore, you are not worth our attention. And if
1: God doesn't love you, we don't have to take care of you. Exactly.
0: Yeah. And so, it's, uh, it's interesting how all this theology stuff plays out. But, the point again, being that when you, when you look through the lens of Dean, that's one lens, when you look through the le- lens of a secular infrastructure, and you redefine how you see everything in religion. Right? And and then you gave an example of that, that okay, well, if you're doing well, then that means God loves you. Your duas are being answered. Okay? Um, yeah. Um, let's do these last, uh, let's finish off this section.
2: Yet even Freud, in, in
0: Freud, resistance is a theoretically
2: defined concept, one that has a particular place in the work of analysis. The sick body suffering is not always to be read as resistance to the social power of others. It is sometimes the body's punishment of itself. Oh, we already read that. Oh, we did. Where were
0: we? I think uh, we're in page 72. Oh, so.
2: wow. Did I move? Mean,
1: they I also want to present... Oh, there we go. Yeah.
2: They also want to present struggle, resistance, and dissent... Oh, we already did that, too. No, yeah. did we? Yeah, I remember reading that no, could a lot. Think, yeah, no, they also want to rep- uh, present struggle, resistance, and dissent deviation as normal to human behavior. But normal is a notoriously ambiguous notion, including both a descriptive statistical sense in which a distribution is normal and a prescriptive one in which being normal is being healthy, the okay. opposite of pathological. So
0: this is, um, almost try to memorize the concept that is in this sentence. The question is, what is normal? Okay. Because if you're defining something as normal, then you're also defining something as pathology. Uh-huh. I don't have a highlighter, but you
1: know. Use your heart.
0: so <clears throat> so the idea being, like, if I were to ask you, what is normal Muslim behavior? So he's saying, "Okay, normal is a problematic term if you're using statistics where you have like the top of the bell." Okay, if you're saying that's normal, uh, and it's also a problem of being prescriptive. Because then you're saying it's the opposite of pathological. Because yeah. then that...
1: Could you, could you repeat the second part? Yeah, yeah,
0: sure. Okay, so the first part is basically he's saying... so this. Okay, so first, normal is a problem. Because then by definition you're defining there's an abnormal. Okay? If there's a normal, then there's an abnormal. And then how are you going to define what is the normal? Maybe you're going to define it according to statistics, which would be the mean, you know, the often like the high point of the bell yeah. curve. Okay. Defining normal. As that's normal. Yeah. And then when then we call the people at the edges extreme. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then, on top of that, if you're doing it he's saying from a prescriptive behavior, like here's how to behave normally, then we're saying if you don't, then you're pathological. Okay. So, a lot of these things are matters of just definitions. So, in the whole homosexual agenda, that's what they're pushing against. They're saying we have been categorized as a pathology.
1: As abnormal
0: as abnormal, right? And so the first big move they did was to change their categorization in the Library of Congress. Okay. So it's no longer classified as an illness. And then from there to be removed from the DSM, the Diagnostic Statistic Manual of like mental health disorders, say this is not a disorder. Maybe, maybe. Um, but the point is they're saying no, this is normal. Okay. You guys have categorized this, categorized this as abnormal. And so, so the argument being, in any aspect of life, what is normal, what is abnormal? Because then that's how you're going to determine what is insane. Okay. And so even in physical health, what is normal? We used to say the removal of bacteria was health. And now we're realizing, problem number one, antibiotics are giving birth or allowing the, the growth of superbacteria. But on top of that, there's all these bacteria in your stomach that are affecting so many things throughout your whole body, including your brain. And, and so it used to be like, wipe out all the bacteria. Wipe out all the germs because they're bad for you. But no, there's good germs. And so he's saying this term is a very, very problematic term. right? So how would you define normal Muslim behavior?
1: I used to be able to have an idea, yeah. and I can't not anymore. Huh? Because there's so... Uh, there's such a vast spectrum uh-huh. of people who uh, just if you just everyone who calls themselves Muslim, yeah, you're gonna find behaviors that are like mm-hmm. all over the place. Mm-hmm. So I don't think there is a normal. Uh-huh. I think there's uh, in terms of like what defines Islam. Mm-hmm. There's you know in terms of, like, as a Sunni, there's, like, the five pillars. Okay. Like that's what I would defer to as, like, this is sort of mm-hmm. the framework and the boundary of what okay. we consider, like, Muslim.
0: So then you have the, uh, the the companion goes to the Prophet, peace be upon him, saying, what's going to happen to me in the Akhirah? And the Prophet, peace be upon him, asks him, no, before we get to him, the, the other companion who asks the Prophet, him, okay, the Prophet, peace be upon him, okay, what do I need to do? And the Prophet, peace be upon him, lays out the five pillars. And then this companion says, okay, I'm going to do that, and nothing more. And the Prophet, peace be upon him, says that if he's speaking the truth, then he's going to, and I'm paraphrasing, he's going to get paradise. Yeah. Okay? And this other companion, you know, asks the Prophet, peace be upon him, what's going to happen with me? He says, what have you done? He says, I've done nothing. But I love Allah and his messenger. And the Prophet says, peace be upon him, you'll be with those whom you love. Okay? And that's understood to mean that, inshallah, he's going to get paradise. Um, and the, the, but the framing is that he's done nothing. Right? Uh, a book that I want us to do, and I have to figure out how to do it, because I want to do it sentence by sentence, <laughs> and, and, okay. that you will love is the Shahab Ahmed book, right? What is Islam? Mm. Um, you know, the problem is that book is a thousand pages, and you guys will love that book. Way more you're going to love this book than this book. Mm. So however much you're enjoying this, you're going to love that way more. Because he's asking, what is Islam?
1: Yeah. He's
0: saying, I'm not talking about what's going to give you salvation, yeah. okay? but... Here is, he gives a bunch of examples uh, that would seem to be outside of Islam. Here is a case of a guy who drinks, and this non-Muslim professor of Islam or something is saying to him, you're drinking, and you're calling yourself religious. I don't get it. And then the guy says, yeah, we drink, and my whole family's been drinking for, for generations, and we're devout Muslims, right? And then you're like, huh? Right? And so he's giving all these questions like what is it then that makes Islam Islam? Yeah. From a dunya we perspective.
1: Like what makes it take root in a society? No, not even that far. In people?
0: In people. But but not even what makes it take root. Like what do we define as being Islam? What do we define as not being Islam? Mm -hmm. So if a person drinks from a theological perspective, we can't say that person's a non-Muslim. Right. Um, Now imagine you had someone who drank and it was no that he drank, and you wanted him to give it to a chutbah. Yeah. Can you imagine a masjid? Can you imagine MEC? You,
1: you have the smile like I know a guy, though. <laughs> <laughs> okay. There was,
2: I, it's funny, I remember just uh, the other day someone sharing uh, something along these lines of a very known scholar who drank. Like, this is a classical scholar.
0: Oh, classically, okay. I mean, I'm sure you know modern ones,
2: but I'm just saying (laughs) classically, like, (laughs) (laughs) classically, like, where he was, I mean, it was kind of known, and Mm -hmm. people would whatever, you know, come at him for it, and I remember someone defending him. I mean, I remember hearing Like, he was just known But let's
0: let's just talk about Chicago, you know, 2017, MEC, okay? Mm -hmm. Let's say there's a preacher who everybody knows this person drinks, Okay. Can you imagine that person being allowed to give a Jum'al-Hukba at MEC? Nope.
1: No.
0: Now, imagine he doesn't even have a beard. Okay. I?
1: I? don't think I've ever seen a Khatib without a beard. No. Okay. No, there's, there's been like a few, but they have like a soul patch.
0: Okay, but let's say this guy has no soul patch or nothing, <laughs> just a big Punjabi mustache. Okay?
1: But he still drinks.
0: And it's known that he drinks. And no beard. And his name is allah Akbar. Boom! Right? What am I saying?
2: Go home, burn
0: off. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm saying no masjid in Chicago. Can you imagine allowing that person? Yeah. to give a jama khutbah and he is perhaps the most revered person of the past hundred years. Yeah, for the same population of people. Yeah, it's, right?
2: yeah.
0: Really? I love Daisy's. I, I love no, this about so, Daisy. Oh, we're not just talking about. okay, we're not turning this into what no, 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 Daisy's are so like. So he, he, he It he wasn't he, known that he drank. Yeah. No way. Yeah. That's. Come on, you poet. Come on, dude. <laughs> all the daisy poets, man. Come on. Everybody I mean, that just, was, that's part terrible. of his, his, his narrative. I don't know that he's ever saying it's okay. Galib's, Galib's. But, but Galib I think Galib is is a little bit off the charts. Yeah, yeah,
1: for like, and I, I had a discussion with someone about this about like. Yeah. Uh, he was a non-Muslim, but it was about drinking. Just ev- the whole spectrum, all of mm-hmm. the hot topic issues. I'll leave it at that. Mm-hmm. But he, was, I was like, you know, I don't think it's ever about like behaviors mm-hmm. i think what makes muslims or like uh i guess more like traditional muslims uncomfortable is when you say it's okay mm-hmm. so like if you said drinking's okay that's yeah. when most like i think that's when most people would say no 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 it's not okay mm. like, you might do it that could
0: be technically that could be in sunni theology that could technically be guffer. yeah that is yeah if you're saying something is haram it's, right. it's not haram right right or if something's fart, it's not far. Right, yeah. right.
1: So that's like that's where like it's like okay, whoa, dude, what are you doing? On mm-hmm. show? Just like do but, your thing, but don't like don't. There's also
2: definitely a community sense of uh, base army where you know like yeah. in that and when when someone does it and they everyone knows they do it and they persist in doing mm-hmm. it, I think the community definitely will police you and be like, yeah, we're not allowed. I don't before. think the community does
0: as much as you think. Right?
2: No, I'm talking about, like, khutpas and stuff. I'm not saying, okay, like... Okay, maybe
0: specifically only for the... Yeah, like, I'm yeah. talking about,
2: like... I I mean, I, I don't yeah. think they do it, like, at a very ground level at all. It's just... Uh, like, I'm my, thinking
0: an example. Uh, are you guys familiar with Iftekhar Nassim? No. So he passed away not too long ago. Iftekhar Nassim uh, was in the, in, the, in the circles of Urdu poets in Chicago. He was super popular.
2: Was he, like... Was he a little short, dark, dark... He was female, dark. White beard...
0: Uh, I didn't see him in a long, long time. Oh. Um, uh, and... Did he live on Devon anywhere? He was a very prominent Devon. Um,
2: Because um, I remember seeing an old uncle. This is weird and random by chance, right? I would just see him on the bus. And then one time, my uh, aunt, I went to our house, and the Urdu times was there. Mm-hmm. And I was just, you know, scanning it. And then his picture was on some, like, Urdu poets thing. And I'm like, oh my god, I see this uncle on the bus. He's a it might be him. Urdu okay. poet Like, what the heck?
0: And... He was very uh, very out as gay, meaning he invited everyone to his marriage to a sick man, S-I-K-A-H-S-A, yeah, Uh, and to the point that he was also known for having, like, very flamboyant parties and stuff, right? And so a lot of the people that you would see that are in these circles of poets are also, you know, religious types. They may or may not have gone to his wedding, okay, but he's still part of the circles, Right. And so, what I'm saying is that when we do define something as normal, it also means we come blind. We can't see all this other stuff, right? Yeah. Like, sure. we can't even see that it's there. Like, yeah. you know, one example I think I gave you before was this one class when um, I, I discovered that there's these, you know, these two girls in the class, twins, who had never heard al Fatiha before. They see twins. Okay and i couldn't even comprehend that are
2: they muslim
0: i mean their last names were Hussein. oh wow yeah and and you know they they wouldn't have been able to identify surah al-ikhlas they wouldn't have been able to identify surah al-fatiha if you recited it for them compared to something else right they would they they would have said as they did yeah yeah we've heard something like this right and the class is an islam class right and and uh that might be closer to the norm of Muslims in America. No. Yeah, it's you can't see it,
2: right? I don't believe that. Yeah. The norm? I mean, I... Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. People ask, yeah. like... I, I, yeah, people just I ask could very, like... I can see
1: in the future,
2: right?
0: Right. i if you're saying if that's the norm was, now... Like, whenever like... I taught that course, 2014, whatever it was, I'm suggesting that may be yeah. closer I think to the that. norm if you go through the whole country of people who self-identify as Muslim. For sure, I can yeah. see that. What if I said it was uh, the norm of the Bosnians? Is that easier to comprehend? Yeah. Yeah, right. exactly. But I'm saying that might be the norm of the Daisies. Yeah. Like, things I,
2: just bleed over, you know. I, I think just people... I mean, also commenting on this, just going back to how you said people become blind, I mean, you gave us an example of that with the Afghani thing. What was it here? You know the bunch of Here's a culture that is very conservative. Mm -hmm. It's very like Muslim. Yeah. You know, and these symbols of sort of hyper conservative Islam. Super conservative. And this happens at a consistent level across their culture. You know, and it's like, huh? Like, so I I
1: never made sense. Like, I think people just
2: tend to humanize their own as well. Where they just tend to be like, well, it is what we did. You know, and we'll see
0: it as the an exception. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Just the same way when we often get frustrated in our community, why isn't this person being called a terrorist, why is he he being called crazy? Because the people who are looking from within are saying, well, he's not the norm for us. And then when they're looking at us, they're saying, okay, the norm for you guys is violence. And we're saying, no. They're crazy for us, too. Yeah. And so, like like everyone's saying, like this Portland slasher guy (laughs) should be labeled as a terrorist. And I find myself thinking, I don't know if I want him labeled as a terrorist. I don't want the people who are labeled on our side as terrorists either. Yeah, it's just a horrible label. label, but, But... what do we label them as? Crazy? Then that implies norm. And I was yeah.
1: thinking about that. <coughs> when we say that, we're also accepting, at some level, the label and the standard bearer for what that's a terrorist exactly is. That's exactly it, right? yes. Because when you say he should be called a terrorist, you're saying, yeah. well, these people are. But yeah, that's it, exactly what you've just done. Like, you're, yeah, you're making yourself the standard. Mm-hmm. And that's, not, that's not productive yeah. either. Like.
0: And all these are variations of the conver- conversation of what is normal. Right? Yeah. That's all of uh, what all of these things are and and think about that when you think of muslims in america in 2017 <laughs> i love how uncomfortable you are no, even
1: because i realize like i know i'm out of touch right like i know yeah. the cuz the problem is all the muslims i know are very like they they come from a, from a very specific yes. mindset yeah. from a very specific like community yeah. right from a very specific set of experiences and, like, that yeah. sort of is my whole...
0: That's and, all I know. But I'm saying built into that, is, this, is the uh, assumption that Desi Islam is more Islam than the other cultures? What if I yeah. said it was uh, the Somalians yeah. in Chicago, if I said the norm is that they've never heard al-Fatiha, is that more palatable? I think it is. Or the Iraqis in America, because we're imagining them as refugees or something. Yeah. Uh, black Americans, right? But if I say the Desis... Just, then it's like, no, no, no. <laughs> and so that might be a type of ethnocentrism that uh, is hard to digest that we may actually have. I mean, yeah. like no, say, I said, these are two Daisy girls.
1: Ramazan, so
0: yeah. These are two Daisy girls that um, with the last name Hussein. Their first names are both very, very, you know, Islamic type names.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, and I'll, if I can even make it more palatable by saying, I don't think they grew up in a big city, mm. then that seems more acceptable, right?
1: Yeah. <laughs> But I think also also like... I think it's yeah.
2: important, it's important to I think your 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 distinction that they're lazy they girls from here is important. I think mm-hmm. I think I would be a little bit more shocked if you said they grew up back home. Think so? I like but I mean, they're
0: raised by no a father who grew at, up back no. home.
1: I'd be less shocked because I I know people back home who know a way like I think people here have because religion is more of an identity here. Mm-hmm. People by for whom.
0: <laughs> for, or, or <laughs> for no, Muslims.
1: I not. I'm just. I'm talking about no,
2: this no, point no, about the the f- point. No, I think be, uh, it's just so yeah. like is is back home. My my point my point isn't so much like it's a I it's it's not an identity. It is an identity. I uh-huh. think it's just people over there. It's just so much
0: more permeated within like the branches of that society. Yeah, all and, other, it's so uh, it's just one thing. Yeah, you're you're looking for the mindset that Islam is at your forefront. Where the norm might be, yeah, it's one aspect of me, you know.
2: Yeah, like, I just feel like yeah, in, in India... That like, I don't want to
0: let go of, but it's just another aspect of yeah. me. Like, you there's
1: know? people who just seem I mean, to be... There, there's there's something that's still like.
0: And, but if I lose it, you know, I don't realize that I'm losing it, you know, because I'm not raising any of it into my children, you know. Because, well, like, they thought their dad was a hafiz, you okay? Because I was using these terms, and it was something, I don't know what it was, I just had, like, every semester I teach, including the classes that you'll take, I'll give the lecture on the Quran, yeah. and I'll point out how commonplace it is, especially among desis, for every desi will often have a hafiz in their family. Extended family, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And ask the last ask people in the class, anybody here hafiz? Maybe somebody will raise their hand. Anybody here have a hafiz in their family? Who? Your uncle, your cousin, your aunt? You know, sometimes it's interesting when it's a female. But in this one particular class, uh, something told me not to say that. But I was talking about the concept of hafiz. And so then um, I ask, you know, is there anybody here who's, whose parents, you know, uh, know anything about the Quran or have told them about a hafiz? And so then these two girls say, yeah, we think our dad is, right? And, and they're texting their dad during class to verify, and their dad is basically kind of saying um, that he, <laughs> might, not, not, he, like, he might know like four surahs. And four surahs are not al-Baqarah al-Imran Nisa, right? <laughs> yeah. Four surahs might be the four quz. Yeah. Because when I'm pray, playing uh, al-Ikhlas and al-Fatiha, they're like, yeah, it's something like that, right? And I was like, oh my gosh. I'm playing the most recited passages of the entire Muslim history. And, uh, and I began to wonder, you know, I wonder if they are closer to the norm.
1: I mean, I, I met, so I met Muslim, they we weren't Sunni, but they we were Muslims in high school. <laughs> Notice the, yeah, the, the point. <laughs> no, I had to throw it in there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and they, they, I mean, they, I don't think they knew how to pray or they've ever heard like... Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, what were they if they weren't Sunni? I, I've had uh, uh, adults... Yeah,
0: I have adults who are Ismaili. Okay. Never, you know, you the like, thrust in, in the Ismaili community is much more focused on service than acts of worship. Right, right. so
1: I knew them, so like but, like, it's harder for me to digest it for, like, a Sunni Desi Muslim. Because I've just I couldn't even students. ask
0: these girls because they probably wouldn't even know. Yeah. You know? And and so I think sometimes we might imagine that, okay, the normal... The norm might be someone who doesn't pray, but they know they're supposed to pray. They probably fast. You know, those things. I guess
1: that was my conversation with you earlier, right? Yeah. With sort of religious people, like... Yeah. Uh, Because, like, when I was having a conversation with some people, they were, like, when they were talking about Halloween, and they Mm -hmm. were talking about, like, I don't want to, or whatever it is, right? I don't want to participate in these Mm -hmm. things because I'm trying to create this environment. I'm just, in my mind, I'm like, you know, these are two totally opposite worlds Mm -hmm. who both are calling themselves Muslim, Mm -hmm. right? And I was, it it was just hard I was like, I don't think either side, especially the, the religious side, I don't think they see the scope of, like, where the community is at mm-hmm. right and it's like not everyone like you know you're you're worried about like people coming to saravi but like mm-hmm. it's bigger than that yeah you don't the, the, i mean it, you're you're talking about like the you're worried about the 1% of That's people exactly what who are is. showing up here Yeah. they're fine like mm-hmm. they're not they want to pray like like let them mm-hmm. do eight let them do 20 like mm-hmm. those debates are so uh, they're not constant like they're not. They're of little consequence in the long run. Mm-hmm. Right? They're not
2: these existential threats. Mm-hmm. Making, you're making them out to be. Right. Existential threats
1: is probably a better term for it. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Right, because they get turned into. Yeah. We have to look at the tradition. What's this? No, what's this? I'm like, listen, man. These people are praying, yeah. and it's within like a normal Islamic mm-hmm. opinion. Be grateful for that. Those so. people would
2: probably even even deny various very very mm-hmm. legitimate. Strains of the Sunnah that mm-hmm. say counter to what they say, like they would yeah. just they would be in disbelief like you yeah. no mm-hmm. you know i I just remember something where you are talking about this this normal. I remember being shocked in high school one time, and I was taking it's funny you mentioned Bosnia, and this is probably also why how I sort of processed it. Mm-hmm. This girl was telling me that she was Christian and Muslim. And Ooh. I was just like, what? You know, like, like in my, like, my divine muslim mm-hmm. cover." comrade, I was like, this is not the truth. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, how is this possible? Like, but, like, yeah, it was so weird to me. Like, but that, but it, it really made me think, I was just like, you know, what's the cause of this? Like, at the, and at that time, I kind of put it down to, like, just, you know, the societal trauma they kind of suffered and went through, and maybe just being in Europe, and you kind of project that onto Europe mm-hmm. as well, but... Like, when you think about that down, I'm like, yo, you know, I don't know. But, mm-hmm. like, yeah, she, I mean, it just threw me off. Like, just the way she so, sort of casually said it, you know. And I think, like, those sort of traditional sentiments in my body were just like, mm, like, mm-hmm. what? Like, Christian, Muslim, like, mm-hmm. how
0: does that work, you know? So, it may be, related to this, um, the, uh, the closest thing to a normal type thing to say, well, okay, maybe there's six normals, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, six, you're still six types, like. six common archetypes. Yeah. Um, it's still the same risk, uh, but it seems more palatable. Um, but that's that's the big challenge of when you use the term normal, because at society level, then what is that? Utopia, right? Mm. You know? I, I'm
2: I'm trying to think of like how this sort of again sort of get get. Um, get uh, inspiration from the sunnah as far as for example how you know we have examples of the Prophet in the, his society how he treated certain people who went outside what I would sort of project on mm-hmm. to it as being normal right mm-hmm. and he would be like for example I you know there's that famous one of the men who was sort of feminine and, he was. He told them to hmm. banish him or test case. I, I don't remember him. the story. I, I mean, but I mean, you my, well, my point is like he. There was a certain different behavior for this particular person, mm-hmm. and I'm just trying to think: Is there something you could say that, you know, obviously you do, you don't want to have, you don't want to make thing something normal and make another thing abnormal. Mm-hmm. But is there some way you could say, well, certain persons who cross certain thresholds, they.
0: They can be dealt with a different way? Well, I mean, so when it comes down to questions like social order. Yeah. Then you're going to have things that you're going to identify as crime. Ah, Right? Okay. And uh, I was listening to this one NPR interview. I I haven't read the book. This woman wrote a book about, uh, I want to say it was a history of addiction. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. But she makes the point in this interview that, okay, we all imagine cocaine, heroin, and all these things to be so much worse than marijuana. Mm Mm-hmm. And she says, that's not science, that's social conditioning. That yeah. cocaine was being presented as if, if a black man takes cocaine, this is what he's going to do to your white wife. Yeah. And heroin was being presented on racial terms, like mm. likewise. Not with science, but it's become so much a part of the culture, we impose the imagination that it's backed by science. Right? And, and so a lot because of those...
1: Because marijuana is seen as like safe. Okay, yeah,
0: you, Exactly. And, and, but marijuana for someone in their 17, in their teens to use it, is super dangerous because their, their prefrontal cortex hasn't completely formed. So their ability to make choices hasn't completely formed yet, right? Mm. And, and so, um, but this all relates to, what was the point that you made just before this? That's why I was thinking of this.
2: What is normal? I mean, that's... Societal? Uh, you're trying. Like, what, what do you do for people who are sort of... Objecting? Yeah, oh yeah,
0: yeah, so then I'm saying in terms of social order, then we'll say, okay, this is a crime, mm. right? Or this is uh, not a crime, but it's still a violation. It's disruptive to the social yeah. order. Yeah, and so so that's part of the conversation. Marijuana, to like the push that many people are doing is to decriminalize it. You can still find someone like they're speeding, right, and they, and they have to pay a fine, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but they don't have a misdemeanor. Mm-hmm, they don't mm-hmm. go to jail for it, right, and so society will establish ways for the purpose of social order. Mm-hmm. To determine what is acceptable behavior, what is not, right? And sometimes uh, it—I mean, I should say—in the modern theoretical democratic society, it's to figure out what we can, what can we do to have the most possible social order. Mm. Mm. So thus, we're saying most is better, right? Um, From a theological perspective, you know, we would say, what would someone have to do to knock them out of the dean? So this would be a question like, for example, that guy. The Manchester bomber yes. at the concert. So mm-hmm. apparently, like uh, the Muslim local Muslims saying, "We're not going to bury his body." Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't know if that's Islamically right, right?
2: The may have got in trouble for that.
0: Yeah, he also got in trouble for that. Yeah, with the and, with the Boston guys. Yeah, the Boston guys, and and number one, um, if someone, as far as you know, is a Muslim, and they have not stated anything um, in terms of their theology contradicting that, then do you assume that that person is Muslim? That's the majority view. Bahar al-Qadri has this giant book to say, no, they're Gafir, which I haven't gone through that book yet. Yeah. Wait,
2: wait,
0: In who's Gafir? Bahar al-Qadri is saying terrorists are Gafir. Oh, wow. So my thing which is... Which is a big, big claim. That's huge.
1: When you yeah. do that, because I, I think mean,
0: there's that's what it I think again. there's... But, so, yeah, I was, uh, yeah, before I forget, but the other half of it is that when you turn theology into a political statement. Yeah. That, that, yeah. That's, that's part of the problem. Because right, I think right. there's
1: two points to be made. Like, yeah. one is... Uh, I forgot what I was going to say.
0: Okay, oh, yeah. I the so, Yeah, yeah.
1: So, yeah, one is like you're you're making, you're making, uh, like, someone, you're doing the same thing they're doing by declaring takfir, mm-hmm. right? So, these quote unquote extremists, mm-hmm. like, that's their whole thing. Like, they can kill mm-hmm. Muslims. Uh-huh. Right? They do, and the reason they do suicide bombings in the middle of Muslim cities uh-huh. is because they don't consider them Muslim, yeah. right? Yeah. So, like, you're doing the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. But the second point is like, just because something is a society like that, theology. No, no, I'm saying theology, like belief, mm-hmm. is different than right and wrong. Mm-hmm. Meaning that, like, you can believe in God and still steal.
0: Okay.
1: That doesn't make you non-Muslim, right? I so, mean, no no, so, no, 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 no.
0: In terms of vast majority Sunni opinion, yeah, that doesn't make you non-Muslim. Right?
1: Yeah, yeah. That's if what you so,
0: commit what is categorized as a sin, right, uh, it doesn't make you non-Muslim.
1: That but, isn't that what I said?
0: Um, you said it doesn't make you non Muslim, and I'm clarifying who says. Oh, who says that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: Anything I say is. From that <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. Like, yeah. Just for anyone listening, yeah. so like, uh, so, but what I was getting at is those in my mind, those are two different things. So you mm-hmm. can be like, because you commit or you do something in society, right? Mm-hmm. Just because you we, just because we uh, do a janaza for you and bury you. Mm-hmm. As a human being doesn't mean uh, we're putting any sort of sanction on what right. you did, mm-hmm. right? Even Islamically, mm-hmm. and I and I remember because like when Osama bin Laden was thrown out of mm-hmm. the plane, right? I and apparently, that, apparently that didn't happen, right? Me, yeah. but when that happened, like I remember thinking that's kind of whack. Like every human yeah. being, like whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And I remember the Vatican was the one that was, like, was the only group that, mm-hmm. like, because Muslim groups here were, like, praising it and mm-hmm. all happy. And the Vatican's like, you know, a good Christian doesn't celebrate the death of any man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, death. That... know but I respected mm-hmm. that, right? Yeah. It's like you, it wasn't about, like, I felt like for Muslims here, it wasn't about, like, mm-hmm anything sort of theological, it was about acceptance.
0: Acceptance, yeah, right? that's, that's exactly that, what it was. That's yeah. what
1: bothered me, because mm-hmm. the root of it, it's not about what you actually believe, it's, mm-hmm. you just want to be accepted, so you're saying, I'm, yeah, you know, this is a great day for man." Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure, but I'm saying, you know, the, that's the, there has to be a separation between theology mm-hmm. and, like, and, when, and I think when we say terrorists aren't Muslim, then we're saying, well, if they were Muslim, does that mean Islam is allowing these things, mm-hmm. you know? That's, yeah, like we're, that's we're, where you get stuck, right? Because yeah. then you're accept, then you're putting some sort of blame on Islam. No, you mm-hmm. can be Muslim and do ev- Muslims mm-hmm. do everything, right? Mm-hmm. Like we're human beings, mm-hmm. and so if you have Muslim extremists mm-hmm. and they happen to do something, that doesn't make you non-Muslim. It makes mm-hmm. you a bad person, mm-hmm. right? Muslim mm-hmm. being Muslim isn't equated to being, mm-hmm. you know, this superhuman, amazing mm-hmm. thing. So,
0: right? but here's where it gets here's where it gets uh, interesting, right? And this is an example that we talked about before. Okay. Person X kills 30 people, um, whatever the motivation is, uh, but they do identify as Muslim. La ilaha illallah muhammad rasulullah. They have never stated anything that seems to contradict that, but their actions, you know, they've killed 30 people. Yeah. Okay? That person we're saying is still a Muslim. Okay? Now, the next person standing next to him uh, has lived a life of what seems to be perfect morality. Okay? But says you don't have to pray Isha. And that person is, is, is technically in this majority, in, as I understand it, Sunni so view, yeah. is not a Muslim. Yeah. Has, has apostatized. Right. Apostasy. Apost- yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And that's from a dunya perspective, that's preposterous. Right. Right? But from a salvation perspective, this second person has rejected. Yeah. Thus their kafir. Right. The first person didn't reject. Yeah, yeah and I yeah. think
1: like the thing is, it's the 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 bigger question is who has the authority, right? Mm-hmm. And that's God. If the if the first person was saying like I can kill these people, right? Like, we're not making a judgment on like the justice these people will, will mm-hmm. get, right? Mm-hmm. It's just a statement on like who has the authority to say what's this, what's obligation and what's not, mm-hmm. what's far than what's not. And that's God. And if you try to change that, you're doing something ha- like mm-hmm. grave, mm-hmm. right? And like. And I think people get confused with, like, the term... You know, because there was plenty of Muslim... Like, the munafics were Muslim mm-hmm. on the outside, right? And yeah. they were they're supposed to be some of the worst mm-hmm. people in our tradition, mm-hmm. right? But they were Muslim. They mm-hmm. Not only were they Muslim, they prayed mm-hmm. behind the Prophet's eyes. Mm-hmm. They prayed in, like, the yeah. in Jemaah with him, right? They fought with him. Mm-hmm. They had Ramadan with him. They did Umrah with him. Mm-hmm. They were Muslim, but they're also... Some of the worst people mm-hmm. in our tradition. Mm-hmm. So, like, just because you're a Muslim doesn't, it's not, we, if we, I think we get confused on, like, mm-hmm. what that really means, mm-hmm. you
0: know? Yeah, I mean, and then, yeah, I mean, you're reminding me that to complete the point about these two people, um, we may assume Allah knows best that a person killed 30 people, and let's say there's no Toba, they're going to hell. Yeah. Right. Um and, and but it may be that the other person's gonna go to hell too. Yeah. Right? You don't know. Uh but it's probably fair to assume that they're not gonna be the same hell. Right? Meaning the same punishment. But yeah. And so relate to normal is what is the frame that we're using to determine. Yeah.
2: I also think it's 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 a little bit like I think that exercise is I think it's good that you said from a Dunyawi perspective. Mm-hmm. Because I think just that frame to ask a question like that is just a little bit out of bounds itself. Mm-hmm. It's to be like, well, I mean, how do you know? You're asking, like,
0: what would God... so, so this is the field of Aqidah, hence the name Aqidah. What yeah. does Aqidah mean? It's like you're tying, you know, what ties you in.
2: Yeah.
0: And so so Abu Hanifa starts this because he's seeing all these people who are self-identifying as Muslims. Yeah. And he's saying, okay, no, 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 there's some problems with what you guys are saying is core belief, mm-hmm. Right. And so then these couple of paragraphs, he's saying, this is core belief. If you line up with this core belief, you're a Muslim. If you do not line up with this core belief, you can say you're a Muslim 100,000 times, you're not a Muslim, right? Yeah. And, but then it becomes, from a societal perspective, a dunya perspective, how many people will latch onto it. Uh, because everybody in the nation of Islam wholeheartedly regards themselves as Muslim, Yeah. right? They believe themselves to be Muslims. They believe you and I are their brothers, right? And they believe they are our brothers, but if they're saying God came in the form of a man, and then on top of that, Elijah Muhammad is a prophet or a messenger, and then on top of that, there's no day of judgment, okay? we would say, whoa, well, that's, I mean, one strike in you're out. you got three strikes, yeah. right? I know, you know.
1: A, a person in Chicago, like a, a, a Muslim guy who knows about Islam. I don't want to say too much about yeah. it, but he was talking about this okay. with the nation specifically, mm-hmm. and he said something I think that was very, like, uh-huh. Like, he was like, you know, uh, in terms of like socially for work, or in terms of like doing just like service and any sort of thing, he's like, we should absolutely partner and like yeah. embrace anyone who's willing to work with us, mm-hmm. right? But he says, like, it, you know, if when you want to call yourself Muslim, he's like, too many people have like, have, he, he used strong language. He said, too many people have died. To preserve what is... Oh, like. that's pretty... To, to say, yeah. no, this is Islam and this isn't. Like, mm-hmm. People have died over that. Yeah. Right? And he said, I'm not going to spit in that tradition mm-hmm. and say, well... You know, I'm just going to let anyone sort of say like mm-hmm. jump in, and he wasn't saying this as as a knock on them. He was yeah. just saying this. This is sort of where Islam. Mm-hmm. What I see is this is where Islam is, mm-hmm. and like if it matches up, great. If it doesn't, that's mm-hmm. fine. That doesn't mean we're not going to like engage you. Yeah, but, I mean, I
0: would frame, I would reframe that. I mean, to say that okay, he's also speaking in a very dramatic way. Yeah. Uh, if he said. Okay. This is illustrated. Uh, this is illustrating the point that this is not something that can that should be taken lightly. People have taken this so seriously yeah. that it cost them their lives. Right. Right. Um, and I had another point that I don't remember. So let's let's continue reading, so, yeah. Oh, crap, I thought we were doing seventy.
1: Uh, 70- yeah. yeah. Hold on. Of, Of course, anthropologists. Uh, Theory? No, no, no. Sliding between these yeah. two senses... I'll just read it. Sliding, Sliding between these two senses, the editors can assert that there is nothing in the agent that has somehow escaped cultural shaping, shaping and ordering, and yet insist that culture can never be totally determining. Of course, anthropologists have written interestingly about the body, its emotions, and its engagement with the world through the senses. My concern is that because the human body has a changing life, largely inaccessible to itself, because behavior depends on unconscious routine and habit, because emotions render the ownership of actions as a matter of conflicting descriptions, because body and mind decay with age and chronic illness, we should not assume that every act is an act of competent agent with a clear intention. Okay, so
0: that last part of the sentence is easy to understand, right? We should not assume every act is an act of a competent agent with a clear intention right? Sometimes, you know, you, you wipe your eye and you don't even think about it, right? Um, but there's this other interesting points that I want to touch on. Because the body has a changing life, largely inaccessible to itself. Okay. So, th- this is a, a common philo- philosophical question. So, suppose your grandfather gives you an axe. Okay? Right? And suppose the handle of it breaks. Okay? So, you replace the handle with another handle. Yeah? yeah? You I know. Mean, the, I know oh, this is this the, the thing? Yeah. thing? I don't know. Maybe. And then, um, and then the, the, what do you call the, the steel? The blade. The blade, Yeah, yeah. The ship thing. yeah, so then the blade breaks, so yeah. you replace the blade. Yeah. Do you still have your grandfather's axe? Is
2: it, the, the, yeah, this is the, I forget that, I remember reading about this in Wikipedia, but basically it's like, if a ship's traveling around everywhere in the world, and everywhere, like, it breaks, they replace, it. replace, Yeah, exactly. Every plank has been replaced. Exactly. Is it still the same ship? Is it still the same
0: ship? So, it's if you're. Design. Okay, yeah, the design might be the same. And so your body well, is constantly... I'm sorry? Well, what if, if you change the design, then yeah. maybe... You know yeah. I mean, but, uh, but the point is, but if your body keeps going through regeneration of cells, right, maybe the cells are being replaced with identical cells, then he's saying that's something that we also have to take into consideration. Yeah. Okay. And the bigger point he's saying is how much can we say that any of this is... From there, as the starting point, that your brain then your neurons are potentially keep replacing each other. Okay? your synapses uh, might be keep replacing each other. Then how much of your choice is your choice, especially if you make the same choice today versus like seven years ago, right? Is that the same person?
1: Well, I think, actually,
0: I don't know what okay. <laughs> But so the, point, the key point he's making is this is a very big assumption to make that these are all choices made by a competent agent with clear intention and I'd add a continuously the same competent agent. Mm. Good.
1: Okay. Nor should we assume that a proper understanding of agency requires us to place it within the framework of secular history, of freedom from all corrosive control, a history which everything can be made and pleasure always innocently enjoyed, a framework that allegedly enables us to see ordinary life as disordered or incomplete. Distorted. Distorted or incomplete. Mm-hmm. The paradox inadequately appreciated here is the self to be liberated from external control must be subjugated to the control of a liberating self already and always free, aware, and in control of its own desires. So
0: see, see the contradiction? That if you're free, you're still subjugating yourself to make yourself free. Mm-hmm. So there's still subjugation taking place. The ideal is everyone is liberated, but you are making yourself, your body, Do things, okay. So, what part of you is you? What part of you is not you? If your consciousness is different than your body, okay, then there's still subjugation going on.
1: Is this what Muslims talk about? Like when we say, like, like your nafs sort of controlling you. Yeah. So, from
0: from our language, we'd say, yeah, you're you're either uh, you're always submitting to something. Yeah. You might be submitting to your nafs. You might be submitting to your society. You might be submitting to a statue. uh, You might be submitting to Allah, right? Um, And so we're saying you're always submitting to something. But this idea of the liberated self requires that the own self has to be subjugated to the self.
1: Okay, let's continue. Susan Wolfe identifies this metaphysical conundrum and the failure of recent philosophers to solve it. In place of obsessive attempts to define the freedom of the subject as its ability to create itself, Wolf offers an alternative by drawing the common-sense notion of being sane. The desire to be sane, she writes, is thus not a desire for another form of control. It is rather a desire that one's self be connected to the world in a certain way. We could even say it is a des- it is a desire that oneself be controlled by the world in certain ways and not in others. Okay,
0: so shifting the conversation from domination to interaction. So health may not be, or normalcy may not be related to domination or subjugation. It may be, in this other lens, how much interaction do you have, how much interaction do you not have, mm. right? And so imagine... There might be someone who in our common notions of society right now we might define as very, very normal and healthy, yet they have no human connection with everyone else. Okay. From the connection lens we'll say that guy's that guy's ill. Yeah. Right? Uh, even though in terms of behavior, you know, they go they might go to work, or they might earn income, they might buy food, they might seem physically healthy and everything. Yeah. But we might say, Okay, that person's insane. Yeah. Because they have no friends. Yeah. And if you look at through that lens... It makes me uncomfortable to think about it. <laughs> and if you look at through that lens, we're saying so much of America is insane then. Right?
2: <laughs> oh, that kicker, is, that was gay. Is is that we're saying? Right after you said that, makes you uncomfortable yeah. too. He's like, actually, that's everyone.
0: Yeah. Right? That we're saying the normal of American society through the lens of interaction yeah. is insanity. That's the American norm right now. Yeah. And so, hey, through I that lens... That isn't that fascinating? <laughs> you are. I think that's very fascinating. Okay, let's continue.
1: (laughs) This notion of sanity presupposes knowing the world practically and being known practically by it. A world of accumulating probabilities rather than constant certainties. It allows us to think of moral agency in terms of people's habitual engagement with the world in which they live so that one kind of moral insanity occurs precisely when the pain they know in this world is suddenly no longer an object of practical knowledge.
0: Okay, it allows us to think of moral agency in terms of people habitual engagement with the world in which they live. Okay, So that one kind of moral insanity occurs precisely when the pain they know in the world is no longer an object of practical knowledge. Uh, that, I'm not sure if I understand that sentence. I have a whole bunch of theories, but I don't really quite understand it. Okay, uh, let's stop right here. Page 73, uh, thinking about agency is what we'll cover next time. inshallah. Alright, subhanakallahumma, bihamdika, and ashadu wa la ilaha illa anta, sakhiru kanatubu ilaykh, like. wa akhira da'wana, and alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.